Oh, I think blame is central for it overcoming you. I think that um, w- there are always two sides to a story. There are always two parts of the equation of life. There's your side and the other side. And when you let the other side define your side, you're losing control and you're placing blame. And so for me, uh, and I try to teach this to my kids, and I'm sure you teach this to your kids, being accountable for the choices you make are critical. Welcome to The Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and I'm here to inspire your true performance. From the framework established by Zig Ziggler, one of the top motivators and personal development leaders our world has ever seen, who believed we could all be more, do more, and have more, how? By improving ourselves, beginning with how we think about ourselves. Today, let's break down some personal development. Hey, everyone. This is Kevin. You'll notice a little voice change due to a sore throat. I apologize. The focus of today's show, what is your crucible? The definition of a crucible is this, a situation of severe trial or in which different elements interact, leading to the creation of something new. But if you'll think of it as the things that have happened in your life that have shaped you for better and worse, wouldn't you like to take all these things in your life and have them support and propel you instead of handicap and weigh you down? I bring Dr. James Kelly to us. He's our guest today, and he's the author of the book called The Crucible's Gift. He's also the host of the podcast, Executives After Hours. But the focus, it's ultimately taking uh, many people who rose from adversity in spite of, or, or maybe because of, the crucibles in their lives. And it's really a life-altering topic, folks. I mean, so many of the big movies today, for instance, focus on people with superpowers, right? Regular people who had some mishap that gave them a superpower. They were bitten by a spider or electrocuted or fell in a vat of chemicals. You know, in the movies, of course, from that, they got some cool superpower, in real life, when those bad things happen to us, we generally expect, you know, we're going to die or be handicapped or, or whatever. But can we take those mishaps and have them power us? The concept is just so very, very real. Tragedy or at least hardship and disappointment is going to happen to everyone from childhood on. And how you deal with it, though, is everything. So will the crucibles in your life make or break you, help or handicap you, overcome you, or will you overcome them? And you may need to look into your past and consider what crucibles in your past have done to you. How do you perceive them? What is the story you tell about them? Were you equipped and empowered or just hurt? We also get into the crippling effect of blame, which I started off the intro clip with. It gets to the root of our very real handicaps or strengths. And it may not be black and white for all of you. Some things happen that give us strengths and weaknesses both. So we're really going to flesh that out with Dr. Kelly. It's a significant, profound message. Um, also Dr. Kelly agreed to give Ziegler listeners the first chapter in his book for free. Again, the book's called the crucible's gift. You can get it and connect with him at Dr. James Kelly. And that's K E L L E Y.com slash Ziegler show. Dr. James Kelly.com slash Ziegler show. And again, Kelly is spelled K E L L E Y. Okay. So we're going to start in with Dr. Kelly after I share some great resources with you. Okay, folks, here then I bring you Dr. James Kelly and his message from The Crucible's Gift. All right, well, James, I have been doing my homework on you, and you are an interesting individual. I'll have to say that. Uh, and right now, I'm talking to you. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking to you like across the world. Where are you right now? 
I'm just outside Dubai in a town called Elaine. It's about 600,000 people in United Arab Emirates. Okay. It's, it's, what's the story? You got to tell us that you got four <laughs> kids, uh, and you yeah. got, you, and you're a guy from Portland, Oregon. What are you doing there? So, um, about two years ago now, two and a half, three years ago, uh, I, I had a quasi failure and an opportunity at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the opportunity was to come out to the Middle East and teach at a university out here. Uh, the failure is that I didn't get tenure at my last, my last institution. So, um, you know, looking at, at taking lemon and turning to lemonade, so to speak, mm-hmm. I, uh, I had a friend out here and just said, he gave me the kind of the spiel and what it's about and what it's like. And I kind of thought, you know, um, it's really important for me, at least, that my kids have a sense of the world. Um, you know, we, in, we end up sometimes with our children insulating them out of a good place. Yeah. And they're super insulated here by all means. Don't get me wrong. But I want them to be in a school where they have kids from the UK, from um, Pakistan, India, um, Emirati, Irish, South African. So they're in this school full of people all over the world. Um, they are getting a cultural lesson that they probably wouldn't get uh, living in Portland, Oregon uh, at all. So that's, that's one of the major reasons is for them to expand their horizon. They're young, but they're in a great place to where they can absorb it yeah. and not know it and then see it as they get older. I greatly appreciate that. We, uh, we brought a lot of people into our home actually and different ethnicities and seeing my kids just, that's their normal, uh, is such a gift. It's yeah. Uh, unprecedented in how that, and how that shapes them. Uh, well, amazing that you would do that. And you know, you talking about opportunity and failure and lemon and lemonade, of course you're getting right into the heart of your message, but I'm not ready to go there yet. <laughs> no, I don't worry about I, it. I want a little background on you and you'll appreciate this. Cause I read about you in your own podcast that you want to know who the person is. And, uh, I've grown into that in ours and, and with you having this focal point of, uh, you know, your authentic self, authentic leadership, Tell me a little bit about your really not even just your background, but go back to your upbringing. How has that played a part or did it in what you see yourself doing today? Do you see the threads? Did your, did your little upbringing that your parents, did that have anything? Do you see that adding into? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I appreciate that question. Uh, My upbringing is absolutely formative for everyone. Their upbringing is formative. The difference that I tend to hold on to for, for, for me is do I let my upbringing define me or do I define it for myself? And so I grew up in this 900 square foot house and just outside, well, in Portland, Oregon with six people. And uh, I joke tongue in cheek, there's a little bit of truth to this, that I was raised Irish Catholic with uh, a touch of violence, no Catholicism, but all the guilt. So, (laughs) wow. Okay. That paints a picture. (laughs) Yeah. And so, um, you know, there were lots of rules. My dad was ex-military. My mom was a Canadian liberal. So it was a kind of a fascinating upbringing. And she, she had her own baggage that she carries to this day. Uh, and she was gladly to pack some of it in my luggage as I went <laughs> as well. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I grew up in this house where I was the youngest by five and by five years, I mean. And um, I just spent a lot of time in my own head and a lot of time observing. My parents weren't, my parents were a bit old school. You were to be seen, not heard. And so I spent a lot of time just kind of hanging out by myself. So that's kind of the essence of my life is that there was lots of this, this stress and drama. I mean, I can tell you a particular story for sure. 
it's very vivid. I don't remember exactly how old I was, but my brother, my oldest brother was in high school, which means I was roughly 10, eight to 10, depending on, 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 uh, his age. But I remember my dad having one brother pinned down, getting ready to punch him. And my other brother trying to hold my back debt, my hold my dad back. And I'm on the corner crying. I hear my mom screaming and that would kind of give you a sense. And there wasn't lots of violence. He didn't actually hit him, but my brother pushed him to the point where my dad just wanted to beat him. Yeah. Um, and so that was kind of the world I lived in. And in, if there's a blessing on the wall, I learned to read the situation, know how to maneuver through it and not create a lot of harm for myself. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, even your statement of a lot of time in your head and observing, that seems like that's a thread of your life there. I love mm-hmm. the reality. And I think you spoke, I think you actually said th- these words in essence, I'll paraphrase, but in your, you started out a podcast and had a focal point. It was well, corporate wellness, I think it was, and then found this thread through your observing, mm-hmm. found right. this thread that led you into the authentic self. But even as you look at the crucible that we're going to get into, the the challenges of life, as you talk about right there, is that again, yeah, from a, from a childhood, from an upbringing, do you see that that's a soft spot for you to look at that hardship and to find more out of it, not let it, well, you said it, not let it define you, but figure out how you're going to define yourself amongst it. Yeah, it was a huge threat. I mean, I can go, uh, I think I was, again, I think I was lucky that I realized early on that I just had to behave certain ways and I would stay under the radar. Hmm. And typically what happened, uh, my parents had a, had a saying that I just milked uh, like fresh cattle in the, out in the pen, um, is did you try your best? And I would just say yes. When it came to school, I would just say yes. And they would leave me alone. So if I got C's, they were like, okay, well, he tried his best. And I, later on in life, I asked my mom, why didn't you push me? Like, why didn't you make me study harder, be more responsible? And she had probably one of the, the best, worst answers ever. I didn't want you to turn to drugs. Ah, uh, okay. Sure. And I just kind of thought like, your heart was in the right place. However, did you think so little of me that I would just fall into that trap? You know, so... Um, and, and I think when you grow up in this, this, this world where, and I don't think my, my situation is by any means the worst on this planet, but when you grow up in a world that is constantly full of chaos and stress, the impact it has on your brain as, as an individual. So I had a tendency to try to create chaos in my life all the time because that's what I needed. I needed chaos to feel normal. And I don't mean like, um, you know, felony type chaos. What I mean is just some, some, some discomfort, some uh, fostering unhealthy relationships. I needed something for me that was normal and I needed that normality. And so that comes out in my life. My dad died when I was 20. I mean, that was a huge transitional point in my life is, is here I am starting to be a man. Right. And you're, you know, you have, you have nine kids and I don't know how old is your oldest? 23. 23. So, so there's this phase, maybe you've done it already where you kind of start, stop being the parent yeah. and you start being more of a relationship as a friend. Yes. I didn't get that. I got robbed that. And we were, mm-hmm. I started to see it happening. And so, you know, that was one of the major adversity points, but, but I didn't realize that adversity in terms of what it did to me until like four or five years later when I got a DUI oh. and that DUI forced me to have to face some other demons. And so it was just a spiral of just, 
one, two, three, four, to where I realized that each time something bad happened to me, uh, negative, I wouldn't say bad, negative, I had an opportunity to find the positive in it mm-hmm. and reflect. And I don't, I don't ever feel, and maybe I was in the moment, I don't feel like I ever placed blame on someone else. Mm-hmm. I feel like I always took responsibility of the moment. I have to thank my parents for that because for sure it came from them saying be responsible, or at least from my dad, for sure. My mom, sometimes she would try to take responsibility for me, um, but my dad uh, definitely was about making me responsible. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to dumb this down a little bit and come to that. I mean, when we look at this issue of crucible, which I want to dig into, we're talking about that. You said negatives, you know, it's not all, yeah. uh, however you want to phrase it, but it's like the, the negatives in life, whatever level they may be from the horrific to the, you know, just frustrating, irritating, taking those. And as you're talking about not letting them define you, but then you, but then in a sense, as I get into the book, you are saying they do define you. They are going to define you. It's either going to define you for good or for bad. Is that a true statement? First off. Yeah, I think that's fair. Okay. That's fair. But that's you creating the narrative right. around the adversity. It's not letting the adversity create the narrative for you. So, right. so we're, we're saying the same thing. Like you're right. Like, like the adversity does define you, but it's, it's the, it's the social construct or it's the story that you're telling yourself around that adversity is the difference. So okay. typically when people have a hard time with adversity, it's, it was done to me. Right. However, the way I looked at it is it was done. What am I going to do about it? Right. So I, I think it's just that shift of, and it's not an easy shift. It's not a shift that, that um, I, I woke up after my dad was dead and said, all right, well now what do I do? how do I define this? I I had to embrace the suck. I had to embrace the misery of it to understand the impact of it. If I didn't mourn my dad, if I didn't get the DUI, if I didn't have to go to a two year outpatient program that was fairly intensive, I don't know if I would have got to where I'm at at this point. Um, Or I may have, it just would have taken me longer perhaps. I don't know. Okay. Well, I'm curious though, when you look at that and you, and you said the statement of not placing blame that when you look at, in essence, if we take the negatives in life that, and I can pithily, you know, say either you're going to overcome it or it's going to overcome you. And we talk around that a lot. If we take that right there, um, that negative things happen to everybody. Some are overcome by them. Some overcome them. Where do you put blame as a specific ingredient that is going to lead to one or one or other of those sides. Oh, I think blame is central for it overcoming you. I think that um, w- there are always two sides to a story. There are always two parts of the equation of life. There's your side and the other side. And when you let the other side define your side, you're losing control and you're placing blame. And so for me, uh, and I try to teach this to my kids, and I'm sure you teach this to your kids, being accountable for the choices you make. Yeah are critical. Um, and, and so, you know, my grandma once told me I lived with my quit school after my freshman year of college and I sold used new and used cars. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and by the way, at 19, what a great experience that was. Um, but I was living with my grandma and she said to me, and it's always stuck with me. She said, you know, uh, Jim, I don't worry about you because you're resilient. And I just, and I don't know what I did at that point in my life where she saw that, but she saw it inside me. Yeah. And I think I've always held on to that. So 
you know, even at 19, if something negative happens, I've always just kind of said, well, I'll weather this. Where can I learn from this? Uh, and I don't, and I don't want to come across as arrogant or better than, I think it was just a, it was a conscious choice that my grandma planted that seed in my head that I had that opportunity to, to think about it from that perspective of being resilient. Okay. Well, I'm going to talk, I, I've been talking around it already. So go ahead. And I know you do this in the book, but go ahead. And as I dig into crucible, uh, give us your definition of that for the context that we'll continue on with. Thanks for asking that question, Kevin, because I think this is really important from a contextual perspective. The crucible typically, you know, in, in a definitional standpoint is any moment that there's friction that forges a new, a new core identity, a new core behavior because of that friction. Now, in, typically we talk about this in the con- context of death, bankruptcy, divorce, uh, moving cities can be, a, it can be a, a crucible moment. But I also always love to talk about that it's not always negative. You, know, you have nine awesome kids. And those nine awesome kids are a lifelong crucible moment for you mm-hmm. in a healthy way. Marriage is a crucible moment in a healthy way. You know, so we often talk about it in a negative context, but it's just as important to appreciate and have gratitude towards it in a positive context as well. And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. Okay, so I like that. The friction uh, could be positive or negative, though, of course, we hit a lot on the negative, even in your book and the examples. It's those struggles. And I, I would take it again, going back to that aspect of those struggles are often what diminish someone. But if they can do what you have, have showcased here, if they can use that, harness that and use it, you use the word a life nudge and realize it. Uh, then it can make them better, stronger, and and really direct the essence of them, uh, the authentic self, of course, as you talk about. But let me talk about that, the, the recognizing it. I've got to sure. figure that as you are studying this, that we all have the tendency, because you've got me thinking about it, what are the crucibles that I've had that I have not, I have not taken captive and I'm missing out on? Uh, and, and again, possibly letting them overcome me or just not harnessing them enough to, to help them add to my strength. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think, I, th- I think this is a really interesting question, Kevin, because often, you know, there's a, there's a guy interviewing the book, Joe, Joe Burton, and he has this just really fascinating upbringing full of drugs and alcohol and abuse. And, and he's super successful and it took him 12 years really to reflect on his upbringing and how it impacted the choices that he was making, the behaviors that he had, the people he was offending. But it took him 12 years of reflection on, on a life, you know, on a crucible moment. And so we all are on our own journey and we all will come to terms with different crucibles at different points when that particular friction becomes taut, okay. uh, tight. And, you know, it's funny, I I teach a lot of consumer behavior. And one of the things I talk about is when we decide to buy something, but it's reflective of life as well. And it's when your ideal self and your actual self don't match. When there is a far enough tension between the two of them that it it really kicks your behavior in to make a change or in in marketing at least to buy something. But in life, it's the same thing. So when when your ideal self, be a better person, live with more compassion, 
you know, cherish those around you is far apart from how you're actually behaving. There, there ends up being tension in you. And when you recognize that tension, that's the opportunity to reflect on the adversity or crucible moment to figure out why are you reacting the way you're reacting. Reacting, It's never easy. I mean, holy cow, if it was easy, we'd all be perfect human beings. The world would be boring, but we'd be perfect human beings. And so um, that's part of the journey for any individual is the ability to take pause and ask the right questions to wonder and explore and be curious about why they are who they are, both the good and the bad. So I'm, I'm curious, of course, you know, I get to be, as you know, this as a fellow podcaster, I get to be here being the, the, the consummate student and I'm thinking about myself and it feels, I feel drawn to, uh, and I'll ask you, it feels like I should, I have, I have space here to do an exercise and to write down in essence, it's maybe simplistic, a list of what would I say the crucibles have been in my life. I could go through the entirety of it or even look through the past decade. Let, or whatnot. Let, yeah. let me ask you a question around this. I think this Please. is a great point. And, and I want to preference this. And I like to ask the question in a generative way and in an, in an additive way and in an appreciative way. And so what I want you to think about a time in your life when you had a crucible moment uh-huh. and what was it about that moment that strengthened you? Okay. That made you a better human being. Got it. Okay. So do you want to share that? Yeah, I've, I've actually shared it, gosh, in a show, I think in the past year or so. And this isn't a, a dire one. Gosh, I can think of more acutely tragic things in my life. But it was just an interesting one. A decade ago, it's actually more than that, we built a house. Um, didn't really have the financial wherewithal to do that. But it was just something that we felt led to. Um, did the general contracting, the design, the, and I did a bunch of the labor and I'd never done anything. I'd, I'd built a set of shelves once that was it. Um, <laughs> but in taking out this huge loan that we shouldn't have even qualified for is right before everything crashed. Um, none of it should have happened, but it did. And we built this thing and we were on a timeline. Uh, you got a year, it's a construction loan. And then you start getting penalties and the process of that. I was also building a business during that, but my wife's testimony to the crucible that that was to me to where I had to pull it together. Cause I like to start things. I'm not real big on always finishing them. I'm ready to go on something else, but I had to here. And she says the way that that helped shape and define me, she thinks it's one of the most beneficial things that ever happened to me as a man, as a, uh, you know, even for my vocational aspects, um, it was significant in helping me complete some things. So she saw that change and that testimony has been really impacting to me. So if you were to boil that down into three to five words, what would you say the biggest positive lessons you learned about yourself out of that? And then what was it about that situation that created those learnings? Positive lessons. Probably one is that, um, I can't do it by myself. Um, uh, and it was, for me, it was a spiritual one because I look back and I think, I don't know how it happened and, and God provided people. Um, and, and I don't know how stuff got done. I look at stuff that I completed back then. I don't even, I don't even remember it. I don't even remember how we got through that. So I had to rely on other people. Uh, <laughs> and I also just had to, you know, no excuses. I had to come, I had to come through. Um, we had to 
complete it. And it helped me count the cost. You know what? Counting the cost, James, is probably, I, haven't, I don't think I've ever worded that. Probably helped me do that better because I, you know, I had done a lot of stuff. I had built a lot of things. I had had a lot of successes as an athlete, as a business person, as a, as a, as a, you know, parent and husband. But, uh, this one probably helped me count the costs. And I think taking that forward has helped me be a dramatically better Business what do you mean person. by count the cost? Like the accounting side of it? Uh, to, well, no, you know, even from a, a philosophical standpoint, to count the cost, what is this going to? If we go after this, what is it going to do to us? Well, you know, mm. if, we, if we add in here, we're gonna have to subtract somewhere else. Because I was so big on being a big visionary, and I have some pretty hard lessons prior to that where I did not count the cost. Man, I just saw the vision and said, "Let's go after it." You know, no kind of the no fear mentality that I don't believe in anymore. Uh, because I crashed and burned and this one after it, I still have big visions. I still go after stuff, but now I count the costs. So, and what I heard when you say that is like one of the biggest lessons is one is letting go of control. Mm-hmm. So trusting others. And the other big lesson I heard is this idea of commitment to the end. Yeah. Seeing things through. Yeah. Now counting the cost is basically weighing up what it's going to take toll on you personally versus mm. yes. those around you. Yes. So when we talk about the first two letting go and trusting and the idea of seeing things through the end, we can even take trust from your other crucible moments, reflecting on those. Where did trust play in a role in creating those or getting you to move on from those? So thinking yeah. about how can we move forward with this idea when something happens negative in my life, the crucible moment hits, how can I learn to trust more empathetically? Mm. How can I learn to be committed to the end no matter how bad it gets, right? Because you know in those moments it makes you a stronger, better person. Yeah. And so this is what, this is what you know, one of the things I'd like to work with people on is this idea of, of dissecting what these crucibles mean to words, phrases, and then replicating that. So here are moments of excellence in your life, in that moment. You didn't get in the moment, you got afterwards. Yeah. And now how can we replicate that when you start to see it happen again? How can we train your focus not to be on what's going wrong, but to utilize that moment to find out how you can be better in that moment? Okay, that right there, you actually use the word. I literally have this written down, uh, the word dissect, because, yeah, again, it, it, it gives me pause to want to go back and look at these significant points in my life and do a little dissecting and discerning as of what did I get out of them or even what should I have? I'm a, I'm really a, uh, concerned. I'll, I'll say for myself that there's, <laughs> there's some that I just plow forward with and I didn't really consider them. I didn't really consider yeah. what could they have given, given me? What should they have given me that I can anchor into? And I missed it. Uh, I think yeah, that, but I'm a, go ahead. Sorry. I think I'm a big believer in that. It will, it will show itself to you when it's important. Okay. Okay. You know, I, I appreciate hearing that. Cause my, I, I'm almost feeling this a little anxious. Like, man, what, what am I yeah. missing? I missed it. I missed it. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. The amount of stuff I could go back and dissect, I'd be depressed for a month. So <laughs> okay. I mean, okay. you know, yeah, I feel like all that stuff, you know, uh, whether you, you'll believe in God or higher power or whatever, you know, at the end of the day, that stuff will show itself when it's most needed. I do think that you need to give yourself space as an individual to reflect on who you are and how you can be better. And if that, and if rooting yourself in some of your crucible moments is what it takes, then I say do it. Okay. Not everyone needs to do that to 
to grow as an individual, to be more present, more patient, more empathetic or compassionate. You know, not everyone needs to do those things. You know, I think one of the things that I think people struggle with individually out of a crucible. Well, here's the thing I think is great about crucibles. Here, here's what I think is awesome is that if you allow yourself to pull it apart, understand it, grow from it, it actually deepens your compassion because when someone else around you goes through something similar as you, you're going to spare them judgment. You're going to spare them, uh, you know, some sort of lecture that you feel like you need to give them to pep them up. You might just be more present and say, listen, I understand. What can I do to support you? Mm -hmm. So I, I think, I think crucibles can be really beneficial if you understand it, embrace it, and then allow the compassion to overwhelm you because that compassion in essence, you know, if, if to get philosophical or even religious, that's, that's Jesus, right? Like his is compassion. So he took on everyone's, uh, misgivings and he spared judgment and he said, let me take you in. So, I mean, there are lessons from Christianity from that perspective. There's lessons in Judaism from that perspective, but there's lessons all over the place about looking at someone's crucible, sparing them judgment and helping support them get through it. Goodness. Okay. So I, I'm thinking, obviously your book is so full of people who had a crucible. They had this issue happen. And let's even focus on the hard things, the negative things, the tragic things. They had these things happen and how it shaped them. They were able to harness it and uh, harness them and then come out of that you know, stronger, better, better direction. And, and they've got the, you know, they've got successes to showcase now as a result of that. That's great. That's on. So that's a, that's a taking the crucible and it has now helped you mm-hmm. for those who are listening, for all of us who are listening that are, feeling maybe handicapped by something. Let's go back to the blame thing. There's something that we blame, something that we're hurt by. Um, Would that be the red flag of, yeah, there's one you need to go back and dig into and unpack. Yeah. One of my, um, you know, and I struggle with this personally with my mom as a, you know, as as a, as a very raw place for me um, is if you find yourself blaming for others for the situation you're in, mm-hmm. you, you need to reflect. You need to reflect in on um, what it was in that relationship. You know, if it is, if there was uh, something negative that happened in that relationship, what role did you play in that? What accountability do you have to have to to grow from that? You know, I think one of the things I really like to focus on with people I work with uh, and companies I even work with is this idea of saying uh, blame is pointless, accountability is success. So figuring out where you can look in the past for moments of excellence and growth and how can we replicate that moving forward. And so I would ask anybody who is stuck, frustrated, um, in a rut, facing facing a crucible moment to th- Find an example in your past when you succeeded or overcame one, mm-hmm. right? Overcame a crucible, grew from that crucible, and dissect that. Who, who you were, who, what was the situation? How did you grow? What role did you play? What did you learn from that? And then if you feel stuck, find those examples in the now, mm-hmm. Right. I just I just think that the, the past can give us a lot of information about who we are as individuals, but it doesn't define who we are in the future. 
Well, so you have, yeah, go, ahead. go ahead. Well, no, 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 no. no I, you know, and I, and I, I, as I'm thinking about this and thinking of some of the stories, you know, I appreciate in the book, you talk about that. You didn't do this. Gosh, what was the word that you used? Um, uh, it wasn't prescriptive, uh, but you said this, this book is not that this is, this is, you're telling stories over and over. And, and through those stories, I think we start to get the flavor of, uh, and that's it is folks. So I would recommend the book because reading so many stories in there of people who've dealt with this, you see so many different flavors of how people mm-hmm. viewed that issue and then yeah. how they did what you're talking about. They took that on and saw how, can, what can I get out of this? And it, and it wasn't blame. I mean, it was, yeah. it's a deal killer. You know, and the other thing though, and, and some of the people, and maybe it wasn't explicit in the book, they also ask for help. And I think that's a huge thing. You know, often our pride gets in the way of a lot. I know it does me. And so, so when you put your pride aside and accept that you're struggling, that's an opportunity to get help. And I never want to shy away from that because if you need help to deal with your crucible, to become a better person, the end results, what, what's important, not, not having to ask someone for help. That's, that's the support you need to grow. So looking upon that as a negative, I think and a lot of people do in our society, you know, we frown upon people who come across quote unquote as weak, you know, uh, or fragile or whatever. Um, and at the end of the day, I think it's so important that if you're struggling to, to understand a death, a divorce, a job loss, and it's just, you're spiraling down and you have a tendency to do that. Ask for help. I mean, I, I just, I can't say that enough because you don't have to do it alone. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that's really important as well. Well, I want to reiterate folks for, for everybody listening here again, you, and this was right out of the book, you define a crucible in the, in the essence to make it concise is a significant moment, positive or negative in impact, which forces a leader, or we could say a person to become yeah. introspective to it forces them. And I, I look at that. I, I would think we would hope that it would force them. Um, well, maybe that's why you say a leader, it forces a leader to become introspective. But if you're not a leader, if you're not going after that, which I think we all want to be a leader, we want to be an influencer. Um, but then you may, it may not force you to become introspective. Uh, yeah. So I think the way I would, I would read that the way, the way I intended it is that the context of the book is a leadership book, but in life, you should be a leader of your own life. Uh, okay. Amen. Amen. And so, you know, for me, yes, the context is a leadership book, but I, I wrote the book, I think at least, uh, and it was intended as to be more of a, a general book for anybody who yeah. struggles with adversity. Oh gosh. And that's, that's how I took it. And I, I love this other statement that I'm going to follow it with a leader's personal or professional crucible is at the center of their personal or professional growth. And I want to, and I, if you don't know this, James, you'll love this. Uh, one of Zig's she tells a story a lot. They did a study way back whenever of 300 world leaders and uh, big ones. And from Winston Churchill to, to modern day world leaders. And they found that 80% of them came from uh, significant poverty or a uh, physical, uh, personal or, or personal handicap or handicap of a sibling. And you know, so hardship bottom line and Tom Ziegler and I kind of unpacked that over the years and really came to what it did is it showed these people that the world wasn't about them. Uh, was a big benefit yeah. 
and, uh, and, and then they gained strength from, they were able to gain strength on, from them. But for those 80% of those folks, you know, how many other people had similar things happen that overcame them? So again, it's the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what you're showcasing that we all are going to have crucibles. We again, come back to that. I know it's pithy, but the opportunity for it to overcome us, or we can overcome it. And you have taken the cream of the crop. It seems of these amazing people that give that just to that statement. Again, they put that crucible as the center, uh, like mm. a benefit, uh, which we just don't, that's just not, it's just not common human logic. That's not where we go you, first. There's, um, uh, what's it called? The, the center of creative leadership. It's a, it's a national, it's a global company, um, that, that helps organizations raise, develop better leaders. One of their core findings, uh, and I didn't know this when I wrote the book, by the way, this just happened recently through a conversation, is that they're now working with executives around the world to identify what they call heat moments or crucible moments and how to utilize them to become better leaders. So this is wow. a movement. This is a movement around the world where you know Dr. Warren Bennis, who was out of UCLA, who unfortunately passed away a while back, he wrote about this in the early 2000s about leaders who embraced this adversity to be better leaders. And the reason why it happens, and it, you, you alluded to it, is that when you're open to it and you explore it, and most importantly, and the reason why those 80% of those leaders excelled because of their adversity, not in lieu of their adversity, is because they were curious. Hmm. They, they, they had the desire to learn about it. And that's the important thing. And I talk about that a lot uh, in other blog posts. And I, I believe, well, I can't remember now, but somewhere in the book, I talk about it again. And in, in one of the last chapters that none of this matters. Your adversity doesn't matter if you're not willing to inspect it and grow from it. Otherwise it's overcoming you. It's defining you. Uh, and, and that's not a place I think you want to be as a human being, because now you've You've lost control. You are powerless. Uh, you are now blaming. You know that that sense of that sense of choice. You know, I think that life is full of a series of forks, and you always have a choice on which fork you take. Many people take the easy fork because it's just that, and the ones that took the harder fork are the ones who tend to move and be happier and healthier in life later on. Yeah, I, I'm, you know, as I listen to you and I don't want to spend all the time here, I keep coming back to, yeah, the blame aspect. If we take those, when you talk about control, um, mm-hmm. that it is, again, I said this before, but it's such a, such a deal killer. I see this, it's just kind of shining brightly in my own life as I think about people that I'm involved with and, uh, we're, you know, with our, our family, we're involved with, um, that's actually a native American, uh, reservation in a big way. And so we get to see people at the lowest rungs of depravity. Mm. Uh, it's really a bad, uh, one of the, one of the worst uh, reservations we get to see that. And then I spend my time here, of course, with some of the, the biggest world changers as used you, as you do. And as you are, and man, that difference of blame, giving that power away that there's no way we can step back and introspectively be curious on this thing that just happened to us if we place blame because we just lost our power. Um, I, I think I just want people to hear that if they're struggling with it, that you've got to take away. You know, it's interesting on that. I'd be interested in your your perspective. Uh, Tom Bilyeu, he's um, 
Gosh, he was the founder of Quest, Quest Bars, and he has a show now called Impact Theory. Uh, we interviewed him uh, a year ago or so, but he has a video that I actually posted on social media that's, I would say it's controversial because it goes so far to the other extreme of saying everything is your fault. And that sounds bad right off the bat, but he's trying, he's striving to not let people put blame somewhere and say everything no. is your fault. And you said the word accountability, just you take accountability for it. And that's what he's saying by saying that. So he used a controversial way to do it, but that's exactly what he's saying is that, you know, that's what I said earlier. It takes two to tangle, right? So, yeah. so any situation, there are two sides. When you think about, you know, the process of communication, there's a receiver, there's a sender and a receiver. And so within that we have encoding and decoding. The encoding is what I hear or how I say it. The decoding is what I hear, right? So you and I are talking so I say something to you, mm-hmm. and I'm encoding by my tone, uh, by how fast I'm talking, um, by the the, the um, depth in terms of like uh, anger. If I sound angry or whatever, you are decoding that in your brain based on your experiences of what that means for you. And I can't begin to understand your decoding process because I've never experienced your experiences. And so that is essentially what he's talking about: is that. It takes two, so you have blame in this. You have accountability if something goes awry. What parts of this are you accountable for? There are things you have no accountability for. If someone runs through a red light and smashes you, yeah. you have no accountability for that. That's, that is an unfortunate moment in your life. Oh. Uh, you know, God willing, you're safe, right? Uh, those things happen, but it's what happens after that is what you have control of, how you react to it. It's so interesting you said that because I almost I almost gave that comment here a little bit ago that because you talk so often we think about something happened we would blame it's towards somebody but a significant piece for my wife in the past four years she had two car wrecks big ones in two years both of them where she was broadsided by somebody not her fault uh, at all and she, and her having to struggle with with the why with the why and and her feeling like I did everything right. I, I wasn't doing anything wrong and it happened. And she realizes this part of her journey and it had to, it unhinged some things that needed to be unhinged mm-hmm. um, on crucible. And we don't have to get into this. I can give this unless you want to, but I can give this as a <laughs> teaser folks, go get the book <laughs> uh, because you talk about th- you break crucibles into three, the bizarro crucible, the forced break crucible and the avalanche crucible. And you, you help uh, define somewhat uh, some of the ways to look at and recognize recognize those. So I can leave that as a teaser unless you want to just say anything in response to those. Yeah. So I think, uh, I appreciate it. I don't actually get that question very often, which means very few people probably read the book when I'm interviewed. So I, <laughs> good. I did my homework. <laughs> <I appreciate> <laughs> um, you know, in, in retrospect and reflecting on the book and the way I wrote it, I wrote those three layers based on my experience. So for me, the bizarro is I, I moved to Japan and, and I was, out of sorts, didn't understand, didn't get it, but it wasn't so traumatic to where, you know, it, it caused deep harm. The four stop crucible are the ones where you decide to take a break from life and go pursue a new degree, um, go to med school, something like that. But the, the big one and the one I spent a majority of the time in the book on is the avalanche, which are the mm-hmm. ones where you feel snowed under. Yeah. And, and here's the important thing is that everyone is going to define those differently. So someone who moves for the first time ever abroad might find that an avalanche where I did not. Someone who's been through 25 deaths might not find a death an avalanche as opposed to somebody who is experiencing their first death. 
So we all, and I think the moral of that that I was trying to kind of get to is that we all approach the crucible differently dependent on our frame of reference, mm-hmm. our experience, and to me, most importantly, the lens that we're looking through when it happens. Well, I just appreciate you breaking it down there because I think it helps us all understand the what are the relevant crucibles in our lives. And even for those who may say, gosh, I, I don't feel like I've had anything. I've, I've had a pretty good life. I haven't had anything significant um, that it will help you look at some things that are just worthwhile. So I like that. And then in addition to, well, I, I actually like reading your how you define those three crucibles and then they stand out as you go further in the book and read the examples of people's stories. So I really like that now in the same, in the same, yeah, thank you. In the same aspect, you also then, and this is where I really want to key in on and uh, kind of land us on authentic leadership. And you gave four bullet points and you said the authentic leadership. And and I said, I think I kind of paraphrase, you know, for being an influencer, being an able human. Uh, And so the four things, self-awareness, Number one, self-awareness. Number two, relational transparency. Number three, balanced processing. And four, internalized moral perspective. That Those were just, man, those are big headlines. So you're saying an authentic leadership that you have seen through your, gosh, what was 140 interviews? Um, that you did, that's what you came out with. I, I just, I just am enamored by this type of research, uh, James, so, it feels irrefutable. Yeah. I mean, this, you, you interviewed mm. these folks. This is what you experienced. Go ahead. So to, to, to be fair, those, those four that you mentioned come directly out of the academic literature. So, so what I did is I took those and I said, yep, those are there, but I, but I, and I do think those are important, right? Those, uh, Bill George talked about that. Bill George wrote the book, True North. Um, he was the Medtronics CEO and now is a Harvard professor. And there were a couple other academics who wrote about those. And I wanted to acknowledge those in the book yeah. that, yeah, I did some, I did some reviews on this. I actually researched this stuff, but what I found is that what I think being authentic is, and, and I think this is really important is that, um, you know, people will say, well, he's a jerk, but he's real. And, and I don't think that's being authentic. I think that's just being a jerk. Gotcha. Right. Okay. And so I don't I don't allow people to get off that, get off of get off or get away with that by just saying, well, he's being honest and he's just and I think honesty is really important, by the way. I think that's one of the critical pieces. But but being a jerk to me is not being authentic. That's just being an ass. And excuse my phrasing there. But I just sure. think that sure. that really aggravates when people use that as an excuse as being authentic. So so the way that I really break it down is what I call the authentic leadership model. And what I say is, is that, listen, everything starts with your crucible moment. And your ability to let your self-awareness take over and evaluate that. And I move on from that and I say, but when you let your self-awareness be present and you reflect on the learnings from that crucible moment, that's, that's when the growing starts to happen. And that's when you decide that living more compassionately is more important. And I back that up with literature and academic literature. That's when I say behaving with integrity uh, I specifically hang on behavioral integrity, integrity, showing up when you're supposed to, uh, being honest when you're supposed to, having the hard conversations. You know, how many times, Kevin, in your life have you, and I, I'm, I'm putting myself in this box here, mm-hmm. you know, the, so maybe I won't put you in this box. Maybe you're better than I am, where I've avoided having the hard conversation because it makes me uncomfortable, but it's actually a better benefit for the other person if I have it. Yeah, I'm a member of People Pleasers Anonymous, so you just yeah, yeah. 
So yeah. totally, right? So when you're people pleaser, oh, I don't want to make them mad, but it's more about you, not them. And totally, I talk about, yeah. You know, I talk about the idea of behavioral integrity, even having the hard conversations. You know, one of the things that I've, I've really grown to appreciate, and I do this more and more, is I tell people the truth, but I frame it in a way that's, that's not about hurting them. It's about saying, listen, this is your opportunity to do something. In fact, I did it just this week. I did it. I sent an email yesterday about this. So I got, I'll just quickly tell you this antidote and, and I'll, I'll finish this is that um, I got uh, approached to be an advisor for a PhD student and you know, she has a long history. And so I, I had her come meet with me. Um, I, I don't take anybody on. I have to meet them. I have to know their intent and their purpose. You know, advising someone is a huge issue. Uh, it's difficult and time consuming and uh, can be good, but you have to have the right person. Anyhow, so the woman comes to me and she sits down and she tells me, yeah, this is why it's taking me so long and blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay, send me your proposal. I'm going to send you a question. So she leaves, she sends me a proposal and I write her a question. And the question was, when you reflect on all the different times in your life, when you were driven intrinsically, when you had purpose and vision and mission, what was happening? Give me an example, right? Um, she never writes me back. So I say, okay. And so I sent her an email saying, listen, I read your proposal and I gave her three bullets of why I won't advise her. And the last bullet was sometimes in life, I said, you know, and I'm paraphrasing here, you have to make difficult to choice, difficult choices. You've been working on this for five years. You've indicated you're not passionate about the topic. And I can promise you that getting a DBA or PhD is, has to be intrinsically motivated. You're a really smart, um, well-spoken, intelligent woman. Perhaps, though, this journey's not for you, and you have to know when to not keep pursuing. And I wrote it a bit nicer than what I'm saying right now. I don't want to come across as a jerk. But I was trying to be as honest and transparent about sometimes you have to know when to let go and move on. You know, you're holding on here. So that was one of those hard moments where I wanted to please her, but I thought, you know, I would want someone to tell me that, that I'm a long ways away and I need to move on. So, okay. Sorry. And the last thing uh, that I found, second to last thing, was this idea of because I have self-awareness and I grow my compassion and I, and I act with behavioral integrity, I value relationships. So authentic leaders valued relationships from the CEO all the way down to the admin. They didn't treat anybody different because everyone puts their pants on the same way. And they connect with people in what I call micro moments of meaning. Um, and that's really important. But as I said earlier, none of that matters. None of it. Zero. Zilch. Nada. If they don't have a learning mindset, a growth mindset. Yeah. It's really hard to understand why compassion and integrity is important if you're not willing to inspect why it's important to you through the adversity moments that you've had. That's a, that's a large statement. Um, <laughs> that, we, could, we could unpack that for another show there, but it is, it's huge. I mean, I, I'm, I'm looking at, I keep, you know, focus on what are the deal killers here. And we talk about blame and talking about that, the learning and growth mindset. And we, I hear that over and over and over from folks like you who are studying this, you know, uh, perform, performance in essence, personal performance, such a high degree. Well, you know, James, the book um, the book hasn't been out. I mean, it was 2018. It's been out. What? How many months now? Five, five, five months? months. Okay. Yeah. So in that time, and I just, I just, am, I ask this question pretty consistently when I'm, when I'm interviewing somebody with a fairly new book, because I'm just curious. 
what are are there what are some fulfilling some fulfillments i should say since the book came out some things that happened with it some testimonies that just oh yes that's what you wanted to happen that's what you wanted to hear and also then or have there been any surprise feedback positive but but surprising like gosh it's not that uh, that's great that's gravy i didn't i didn't expect that uh, either one of those um, uh this is a hard question for me, Kevin. So my expectations are probably out of line of reality, which I think presents okay. a problem. Okay. Um, I, I did, I did have someone recently give me feedback that I've known for about five, six years and, and, and was like, it's really good. I didn't know what to expect, but what I got wasn't what I was going to expect. It, it far exceeded it. Huh. Um, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, in terms of my expectation, you know, my, my publisher basically was basically said to me, it's a marathon and you're treating it like a sprint. And so you're going to be out of wind soon. So, okay. uh, you're going to be at 9,500 feet trying to do 100 meter repeats and you're going to fall over. Um, and so I'm trying to, to manage my expectations. I, I think the book is good, but I'm totally biased, but I think the people who've endorsed the book, give it value and credibility. And I think that's what I struggle with is that how do you get through that cluster, that clutter? Right. Um, I do these things. I I try to talk. I feel like I'm articulate. I feel like I have a great personality. Um, And so I'm hoping that, that over time people start to see that and, and um, I keep going, you know? So yeah, Yeah. that wasn't as positive as I probably could have been. No, I, it's, it's, that's, that's the real deal. That's why I asked the question. I want to know what's, what's happening, what you're feeling on it. I mean, this, I'll tell you, I mean, the reason you're on this and you've got to know, um, I'm sure is with your own podcast that I get, I have no idea how many requests we get per, per week. I try to filter them out and I sit and I read books. My, uh, one of my assistants, you know, it's, it's just a joke coming in. Hey, you got another book. Surprise, surprise today. And, and I get filled <laughs> with them and I look at them and I am looking for the messages that I know hit on the issues that my audience, but I say the personal development world is dealing with. And this is one, it's just that, mm. that the thing that we, we talk about. And I just appreciate you digging in there to saying these crucibles of life that we all have are going to make you or break you. And it's beautiful when it breaks you and it breaks my heart. I mean, it's beautiful when it makes you, and, but it breaks my heart when it breaks people. Um, but you know what though? I'm okay with it breaking you if you're willing to learn from it and then it makes you. Well, sure. If you don't stay broken. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll go yeah, with yeah. you there. I'll go with yeah. you, man. I thank you for doing the work to get this thing out. Um, I want to help get it in more people's hands, man. I appreciate your work. You have, um, you've, you've brought some things for me to think through and dig into some more, uh, James. So just thank you. Thanks for taking the time to be with us and getting this message out. Kevin, thank you for your time, energy, and willingness to have me on this awesome show. Absolutely. So friends, I hope this has you thinking, what are the crucibles in your life and how have they affected you? How can you harness them to propel you like so many people that Dr. Kelly researched instead of letting them handicap you like really all the rest of everyone else? It's big medicine, as the saying goes. Again, Dr. Kelly agreed to give Ziegler listeners the first chapter in his book for free. Get it and connect with him at drjameskelly.com slash Ziegler show. And again, Kelly is K-E-L-L-E-Y. If you got value from the show, 
let Dr. Kelly know. Leave a review for us in iTunes for The Ziggler Show and mention his show, this show, and what you got from it. Coming up next in show 640, we hear a message from Zig Ziglar on how our paradigm might shift if we got a special call to begin our day, a call from someone we respected that testified to our value and worth in their lives. And from the message, I posted this question. If number one, if God undeniably appeared to you and simply informed you that you were currently functioning at about a quarter of the capacity and ability you had placed within you. And then number two, you took an IQ test and scored you beyond genius level. And then number three, three people, different people you highly respected, asked you to join a high-level mastermind with them at no cost. They just wanted you to be involved with them. Would you feel any different about yourself and how? Well, we got so many different responses, not all what you would expect. It was really interesting. Tom Ziegler joined me to talk through the comments. Really significant. Hope you'll join us. Till then, folks. Thank you for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.